0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Phoenix and the Ferryman podcast. My name is Krista Fee, and tonight I have with me a very special guest, author uh, author of Fancy Prison, and she is going to be telling you guys a story of a completely different kind of trauma than we have addressed before on this show. And many of you guys know that I worked in human trafficking investigations and that one of the the other projects that I work on is the Global Healing Right Now, which is an organization that helps victims of childhood abuse come forward and tell their stories. So Tina has experienced a different side of what happens to our children. She's experienced a different way that our children are taken from their homes, taken from their loved ones and experience those developmental traumas that occur in those first six months of life when they are not allowed the time to bond with those who love them. So she is coming from her story of tragedy and triumph. And I'm gonna bring her on and let her tell you a little bit about her journey.
1: Hi, Krista. Hi. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll, I I guess I'll start out with uh, my grandbaby. She was born in 2017, so not that long ago. She's four years old now. And right after she was born. There was a, a tremendous sense of confusion going on because I guess child protection was involved in her case. And I didn't see my grandbaby like the night she was born or even days after she was born because I live in a different province. I live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and my grandbaby was born in the neighboring province of British Columbia. So my daughter was very stressed and she thought she had the situation under control, but knowing now what we didn't know, then she didn't have it under control. She like, she needed help. Uh, She just didn't realize it. And so we had uh, another friend and advocate there who proved to be absolutely fundamental in us getting the outcome that we did. um, because she was there when the baby was born. She my daughter had wanted her to there in a doula capacity, cause our friend Suzanne, she studied midwifery. So she had basically driven from Vancouver the night that the the baby was born. And she was the first person I spoke to when my grandchild was born, saying, "Tina, everything's great here. The baby's beautiful. Everything's great." But what she didn't tell me was that the social workers were involved, and there was a lot of confusion going confusion going on. And she didn't tell me that the first words out of my daughter's mouth after her baby was born was, "Please don't take my baby." I mean, how? heartbreaking is that. That's how incredibly stressed my daughter was that here she was in the throes of labor. And the first thing out of her mouth was fear that her child was going to be taken away from her. So fortunately, we had Suzanne. And when the baby was about 10 days old, Suzanne phoned me. And so this is how I start my book. I'm driving through a blizzard in uh, March to get to my family in the neighboring province, and Suzanne had called me when the baby was 10 days old to say, Tina, drop your life now. In my experience, it's a lot more difficult to get children out of the foster care system rather than fight now and advocate now. Uh, and assert your right as a grandparent and prevent her from going into the foster care system. So that's what I did. Two days later, I drove there and got to hold my grandbaby. So she was um, 12 days old then. Uh, And then two days later, they took her anyway. So it was just, it was a colossal nightmare. And the trauma that we went through when they took the baby and then the fight that we had to go through to get her back is what i chronicle in my book fancy prison because we we got the baby back uh, after 27 days physically we got her back after 27 days which is a fairly short time as far as some of these foster care cases go but i can assure you it was the longest 27 days of my life and then even then The court orders uh, got added on and they kept wanting to add on another month, another two months, another three. They kept wanting to drag it out. And then finally we just got lucky with the judge when the baby was about seven months old and he put an end to it. And then even then we still had to wait and get the file closed within a year. But still compared to a lot of cases that I heard this, that's a relatively short time to have uh, endured this kind of stress but I'm, I'm not the same person I was. Like that person who Suzanne phoned to say, Tina, you know, drop your life and get here, she doesn't exist anymore. Now this is <laughs> this is the Tina that I got a look at a system that just, it, it just, I, I like I don't even know where to start. I try to make a start in my book, but there's just so many questions that we need to ask. And I mean, kudos to you though, because you work in, an area that I, you know i think a lot of people are quite uncomfortable with and that's child trafficking mm.
0: yeah it's difficult to talk about the child care system or the the foster care system and the adoption system and all of that without without considering that we do have a lot of kids that go missing out of those systems mm-hmm. and it, it, And there are a lot of theories. I mean, obviously when we can't find kids, we don't know where they are. So we can't Mm -hmm. say that the system is selling them to to human traffickers or that they're just, you know, that they're, that that's part of how they're being taken or why they're being taken. But a lot of people are suspicious and there's a lot of conversation about, okay, is there a profitable, is there literally a ring of profit going on where people are, are, taking children from families that shouldn't be taken from families for the purpose of disappearing them into the system for human trafficking so yeah. it's not a theory that people don't talk about it's just yeah. something that that we don't we you know we it's all it's all supposition and and a lot of people say it's all conspiracy theory and all of that but evidence is there, there are missing children. If the system was working correctly, we would never have missing children in the system,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, and I, I, I mean, I do ask questions in my book about, like, so along the lines of what you were just saying that, I think it's a conflict of interest in, for example, in our case, to have the Ministry of Child and Family Development so that's what it's called in British Columbia MCFD to have that or that ministry be in charge of apprehending children but then they're also in charge of adopting them out to me that's a conflict of interest I think it needs to be there needs to be a lot more separation and there needs to be a lot more accountability and a lot more checks and balances because of that reason that children bounce around in the foster care system and there's there's the funding follows the child so so it doesn't take a genius to figure out that hmm, if the funding model is the more kids in provincial custody the more money they get you know you start you really have to question what is your incentive exactly for taking this child because like in our case they had Evidence that my daughter was clean. Like we think that the original complaint that she was a meth head. Well, she was telling the telling the search, social workers, like, I, I don't take meth. I never have. And I never will. Like, you know, I, I don't know where you're getting your information from. But it doesn't stop them from. Um, coer- so they coerced the signature out of her, went into her medical records, got her urine tests. They came back clean. After the baby was born, they got a sample of the umbilical cord. That came back clean as well. And then when I arrived, they were sending out the placenta to be, have it tested as well. So they kept digging and digging and digging. It's like, you know, how many tests do you need to take here to prove your case? And, and we're not even being heard. You're not listening to us, let alone the fact that we didn't seem at all to be able to present any evidence in court to exonerate this whole nonsense. But it was just, it was so unfair and it was just so one sided. Um, So, I mean, yeah. And, and like, like they just, they just took her at two weeks old and I was right there. I have no criminal record, no drugs, no nothing. And every single policy. In, across this country, whether it's, you know, different uh, provinces or different territories in Canada, they all generally say children automatically go to next to kin. So I'm right there. Why was she put into foster care when her maternal grandmother is right there, you know, and there's no issues. Like, so it's just, it was just a, a tremendous amount of confusion
0: and it was incredibly stressful. So let's go back a little bit. Your when your daughter was pregnant, she had no she had no idea that this was going to happen. So she had an uneventful, normal pregnancy.
1: Yeah, she went to the do- and they kept saying that oh you know she they kept put, like they kept making up these lies like she didn't seek medical attention and I'm like that's that's not true like you and you have a letter from the doctor that the doctor gave us for court for the first appearance of court where the doctor said that you know my daughter had been her patient for you know this amount of time during the pregnancy and the doctor even said in this letter she witnessed my daughter's maternal instinct you know just uh, with a newborn baby and it was her recommendation that the baby be returned to her mother right away but they jo- chose to ignore it. Like, the, like I said, they only cherry picked the negative things and anything that supported our case, they just, it would ignore it. So, I mean, as far as court procedures go, I mean, if I were to go back in time, I would have done things differently, but we were just, we were blindsided. My daughter was blindsided. I was blindsided. I had no idea that they had this kind of power and that we would basically be treated like criminal, guilty criminals. And it was our job to prove our innocence. Like, it's like, right. yeah, there's so many criticisms. Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I started a bit of my book, but, you
0: know. <laughs> so you've taken this experience and you've been talking to other families and to other people who are having these kind of issues so you you're kind of becoming an advocate and a voice for these struggles well
1: i'm going to stop you right there i don't talk with other families i listen to other families okay because for me whenever i've gone to child advocacy forums or things like that i always feel like the luckiest person in the room i have to tell you that right now because the other families that I'll meet they are dealing with a child who is bouncing around the foster care system and they don't have the skills or the resources or the or the money to get a lawyer to help them navigate through the system to get their children back or I'm meeting parents who like when I when it came time for me to choose the cover of my book I had met a family uh, I don't know if you can see that beautiful little baby there. she her name's Delana Sullivan, and I met her family a few years after my grandbaby was born, and I met them in the wake of some of this child advocacy you know work that I was doing and uh, interest in it. and I was just I was just so blown away and so saddened by the story so her mother Jamie was a single mom and she was just trying to make ends meet and she so you know what I'm not going to get into detail because I end up crying I do dedicate a chapter in my book about that so a little more detail about the story but long story short she social workers show up at her doorstep take her baby her four-month-old healthy baby and six days later, put her into foster care. And six days later, the baby is dead. Okay. They have, so that mother now, where do you even go with that kind of grief? Where, like, it's just all questions. And there's nowhere, there's nowhere for Jamie and her mother, the grandmother of the, of Delana Maryland. there's nowhere for them to go with this grief, you know, and like it's, so there's two rabbit holes I try not to go down in my book. Um, one of them is the level of cruelty that it takes for people to take a two week old child from her mother, which they did in my daughter's case. And obviously that cruelty exists because what kind of a person takes a a 14 day old baby from her mother screaming and just, you know, fighting tooth and nail, like confused and stressed and traumatized beyond all belief. What kind of person does that? So I don't really get into that so much in my book. I just, I just outline the behavior of the social workers and start questioning, okay, well, is this really in the best interest of the child? And another rabbit hole I don't really go down in my book is the level of hatred involved here. Um, So the example of, of Jamie and Marilyn and all they have now to visit is a grave for their four month old baby. And where where do you go with that kind of hatred? So again, I don't really go down that rabbit hole in the book because it's like it's, I present their case, but how would you feel? Like I just, and they're one of, and Jelana is just one of hundreds of children who are dying in foster care. So I don't know. I don't don't have the answers, but we're not even asking the right questions right now. Well,
0: I'm working on, our next compilation uh, book which will be honoring children who didn't survive situations of abuse neglect and uh, if you connect me if you give her my information and she's interested i would be absolutely happy to represent her child mm. to tell the story well
1: we're, uh, we're in canada so but i mean Jamie, when I approached Jamie and Marilyn, because I had met them years ago and first heard about the story. And then uh, last year, I I actually won a publishing prize, which was kind of my catalyst for writing this book because because of COVID, everyone was on lockdown. But anyway, yeah, that's another story. (laughs) So when it came time this past winter, uh, I think it was around January or February was when I was getting almost completing the book, and I was starting to think about, you know, what what I would want on the cover. And then I remembered Jamie and Marilyn. Well, I've always remembered them, and I've always thought about Delana, but I asked them if I could use a picture of Delana for the cover of my book, and they didn't they didn't even miss a beat. They said, yeah, they would be very honored if you wanted to use her picture. And so, you know, that being said, I went back, and I didn't want to put a picture of her without explain in a little bit more detail about who she was and what they had gone through. Um, But they are just, they are just the nicest people. So if they agree, I mean, I can certainly put you in touch with them. And if they agree, like you'll find out the same thing as me, they are just the nicest people. They did not. I mean, nobody deserves this to happen to them, but.
0: Yeah. Well, and we go on the, we go on the theory that, well, we love this concept that, you know, we die twice. We die when life leaves our body and we die when people stop saying our name and Ooh. no one's going to ever stop saying the name of these children. So we're, con- we're, our objective is to create that conversation, to bring them back into the light and to remind people they did exist. They mattered mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. have a story
1: and they mm-hmm. have a life
0: So so that is the entire reason for for the project is to just keep these names, keep these stories and keep these children alive in the minds of the public. Because it's so easy to look at a statistic that says how mm-hmm. I, I didn't look before the show. what number of children are dying in, in foster care right now. Mm-hmm. How many kids we lose a year? How many kids do we not even know where they are? Yeah. Like, those numbers are just numbers. They're yeah. not children with faces and stories and laughter and, and potential and lives that they didn't get to live in normal people's minds because they're so far removed from the situation. They just don't even, they don't recognize it exists. They don't, they're not living it. So they don't know it's even there. So mm-hmm. it means nothing. That's not children to people. So we have to bring these children to life. For people to actually connect and go, oh my gosh, this was a real family and a real experience and real pain and suffering. And this can't go on. We can't keep no. doing this. Something no. has to no. change. Yeah. So, but and I watch.
1: that's kind of that's kind of the conclusion of my book is that like after I so I I tell our story, I go back um, and tell. Suzanne's story, because hers doesn't have, ours has a happy ending. We got our baby back, but Suzanne didn't. And that's how she ended up gaining the tremendous experience that she did dealing with MCFD. And she was able to keep us one or two steps ahead of them because she knew the dirty tricks that they would pull. So, and, you know, I'm sure that they wondered, like, they were like, oh, how do they, you know, it's like, we care. It's like, yeah, well, you're not getting this child. So she's not yours. And so I talk about her story and how she still doesn't, like her two boys that she wanted to adopt, they're probably still bouncing around the foster care system. I talk about another uh, mom who we advocated for her. And she, after a year and a half, she got, had her children taken away after a year and a, ca- a half, like us, uh, except it was twice the t- Twice the time, so for us it took about seven months to finally get a judge. For her, it took a year and a half. She finally got a judge who like could see what was going on, and then gave custody of her children back to her. So that was good. So that's a good story, good ending, I should say. Um, and then Delana, I've already mentioned Delana, but one of the chapters I talk about in my book, and I don't really go into too much detail because I'm not indigenous, but and the timing of it was um, interesting because this, I wrote this book kind of in 2020, 2021. So over the, during the winter. And one of the chapters in my book is called time traveling Eagle. And it's about this, every child matters. Like the number of um, uh, Indian indigenous children who were sent to residential schools and the number of them who didn't come back home. And, And so after I had submitted the rough draft of my book, then they started to find these unmarked graves in former residential schools. Um, And that chapter was, it was very difficult for me to write it because I I was trying to ask Indigenous families to share some information about um, residential school and what what it was like. But I was they weren't sharing the information. And like for example, if I met somebody my age and I would ask them, they said, well no, I didn't go to residential school, but my parents did and they never talked about it. So by far, that's what I got was a lot of si- like silence and a lot of um, burying the pain or burying the memories of what had happened to them in, the residential school and a lot of them like have died since and and they probably carried that to their grave so for you to to do this this project of remembering their names and who they were and they and yes they were children they were innocent children they had their whole lives ahead of them like what a worthy what a worthy advocacy group it it really is
0: you know Well, thank you so much. And if there is there anything you want to say, if you could say anything just for the people out there. (laughs) I,
1: I I say, I guess I say it in my book, you know, I, I am very, I'm very proud of I'm very proud of my daughter. I'm very proud of the outcome that we had because we, we we were we did everything right and we were just and we were lucky but we did everything right we just we didn't we made sacrifices and we just didn't make any mistakes that i think the social workers were just waiting for us to make a mistake so i'm very proud of that we got through it it took a long time and we healed from it i'm very proud of the fact that we did you know use that time to not stew in anger but we did move on and we did heal and I'm, and I I'm I'm very glad that I won this publishing prize because I'm very proud of this book. I don't think this book doesn't it doesn't you have to read it I guess to make an opinion but I'm getting a lot of uh compliments not so much about the subject matter. The subject matter, it happened to us. So it's like, okay, this is what happened, and this is how I'm going to tell it. What I'm getting a lot of feedback about is how I take this subject, This, is, which is, which a lot of people, they, they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about it. But I present it in a way that people find it's quite easy to read, and, and I'm getting a lot of compliments on my writing style and So yeah, so I'm, I'm quite proud of that.
0: (laughs) And you can get that book on Amazon. Uh, Yeah,
1: so, so if you probably the best way to find it or me is, uh, so I just put in the chat there, Fancy Prison by Tina Fumo. So if you go in and Google that, but be specific, put my name in there. Because if you just Google Fancy Prison, what you're going to get are, a bunch of guys in like orange suits serving out white collar crime in country club prisons. That's not what my book is about. My book is about advocating for children, advocating for uh, poor families who are being exploited because of the fact that they don't, they might not know how to fight. They might not have access to resources and, and know what their rights are, you know, to, to deal with this system because a lot of them, I just feel that they love their kids. They probably need help in some other areas. And you know, you asked me, I guess maybe if I would, would leave the listeners and readers with one thing is that parenting is a skill. It can be learned. Okay, you don't bring your baby home from the hospital, and voila, you're instant parent. It takes time and it's a skill that can be learned. That being said, because I didn't write the book to enable people or parents to to harm you know to get their children no matter what no, some children really really do need protection. so my my mantra to parents is that you only get one chance to raise your kids, okay so whatever you need to do to deal with your issues, deal with them grow up and, you only get one chance to right, raise your child. There are no do-overs on this. Okay, so just be the best person and the best parent that you can be. That's
0: it. <laughs> so back on that, with we're not here to slam the system. The system exists for a reason, and there are many, many children who are given a better life and who are saved from terrible endings. And the system, when it works. It does
1: amazing things. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. in Suzanne's in Suzanne's case, she had two little boys that they needed a loving home, which she provided. But yet they got taken from her anyway. So anyway, I'll I won't go into detail because, like I said, there's not just our story, but it's intertwined with Suzanne's and another happy story, and then a very very sad story about. Delana, so yeah, well, I'll I'll definitely get you uh, Jamie and Marilyn's information, and and they can they can uh, decide if they want to touch base with you on the project.
0: And absolutely, no pressure mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's just and something available to them if they would like if they would like that story to be heard a little bit more. Yeah.
1: And- well, they have nothing else really, like because their baby's dead. So, and in fact. Well, after Delana died, they were threatened with jail time and fines if they spoke about their baby dying in foster care. And they were like, yeah, you know, F this, like they went to court and they got the publication ban lifted on their case so that they could talk about their baby. So, you know, yeah, I I think that they probably wouldn't mind um, sharing the details to anyone who would listen because a lot of people don't listen. So,
0: right. Yeah. Well, I know I will say the books that we publish are not gentle, they're not easy to read. We yeah. unedited, uncensored the stories from the victims' mouths the way that they want to tell them. So they're yeah. Very, very challenging. Um, they're not just, they're not soft reading, but yeah. the
1: stories
0: need to be told. The truth needs to be told and people need to know what's happening out there. So I mm-hmm. commend you for being brave enough to tell your story and mm-hmm. for being strong enough to advocate for others.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, well, we need- like I said, like I said, the I'm very proud of the writing, but I'm also glad that people are coming back to me commenting on the the book—it made them cry, but they said in places it actually made me laugh too. And and particularly people who would know my daughter, and then I would I would explain, yeah, I know my daughter well enough to know da da da. And then you know I and then I put in there what she I had to restrain herself, how she had to restrain herself, and they would chuckle because they knew that her personality. And it's like yeah, that's exactly what she would have had to do. Like Mama Bear wanted to come out like. <laughs> let them have it but yeah we like I said we we had a happy ending and she's four years old now and we're just we're just so we're just so happy we're just so happy we cannot imagine our lives without her so I just have I have so much compassion for people who deal with this system who lose who lose their and and at the very end of my book I do say that some some of the parents who go through this and they lose their kids to the system. They, they take their own lives. They, they can't deal with the pain.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a tragedy. There's so much, there's so much room for tragedy in, in this system. Mm-hmm. There's room for celebration. There's room for, uh, amazing results, but there's also room for tragedy. And, mm-hmm. and one child lost is too many.
1: It is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cracks for sure. And I think that the cracks seem to be getting wider.
0: All right. If you guys are interested, look up Tina Fumo's fancy prison. And you can also find her on Facebook. And if you can't find her message me and I'll get you hooked up.
1: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, if they Google fancy prison by Tina Fumo, the links that come up are to Amazon and then it will link. Uh, and then it it has my social media link so they can message me there or, and it will link back to podcasts like this that uh, you and I take each other in and then we'll, uh, and then uh, on Go- it will show up on Google too. Yeah. So
0: that's awesome, Krista. And this, this podcast will be on the YouTube channel forever. So if you want to, back to it later you can do that and have a great night everybody
1: okay thanks thanks for having me
0: thank you for coming tonight to the phoenix and the ferryman podcast it was so awesome talking with you guys if you guys have any questions you can hit us up later i wish that we had the chat feature functioning for some reason it hasn't been functioning lately. So you can message me on the Facebook where you saw this live or message me later on the YouTube. I'll make sure to get answers for you. And don't forget to check out Fancy Prison and Out of the Silence. Out of the Silence is the new release from Global Healing right now. It is also available on Amazon in ebook and in print formats and that is the story of our child abuse survivors from their, in their words, in their voice. We edited only as necessary. Um, they are sometimes really difficult stories to read, but they are crucial stories for, for you guys to, to understand what's happening out there and to understand as you're in any environment at the bank, at the grocery store, that almost every single person that you're with has experienced some form of abuse in their life and has suffered some form of trauma. And at least 50% of the people in that room with you have suffered childhood sexual abuse. So this is a really big deal. This is happening everywhere. All, not just in the United States, not just in Canada, not just Australia, not just the UK. It's literally a global problem. So I just wanna remind you guys to keep your eyes open. If you see something that doesn't seem right, say something. We are always, always on the lookout to stop human trafficking. And if your gut is telling you something's not right, you're probably correct. So look up the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Super easy to find, jot that phone number down. If you see something that seems out of place, please say something. A lot of children and teenage girls have been, and boys have been rescued that way. So again, follow your gut. If something feels wrong, if something feels off, it probably is. So again, check out the books, Fancy Prison, Out of the Silence. Find them on Amazon. And I will see you guys again on Thursday.